trying to help the podcast where we try to help you be helpful to other people. My name is Dr. Kate Watson, and I'm excited because Betsy's back. You may remember Betsy from last season. She came on and shared with us a lot of her uh, experience and, and expertise in the area of substance use. Um, and I, ha- I'm, I have asked Betsy to come back to guide us along with a few more tips. Um, I suspect that people are sort of hungry for that. And so thanks for coming back, Betsy. How are you doing? Doing well. Appreciate you having me back. No problem. So help us out. I mean, you know where we left things last season as we were talking about substance use with understanding friends and family members and how to be supportive. I think you said that you have with you this time, some, some tips for us. Uh, where do you want to begin with that? So as I thought about talking about this, I know that we get, we as, I know that I have gotten a number of requests over the years from family and loved ones of someone who's using in terms of what do I do? Yeah. What can I do? And I think that there are some things that I think there are some things I think are helpful And then there are some things that I think are unhelpful and actually can prolong somebody's use. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to comment on kind of some do's and don'ts and share what I've noticed over the years as I've been doing this for the last 18 years Mm -hmm. and some real tangible things. I, I can't thank you enough for doing that because I'm going to tell you. I find that a lot of therapists are hesitant to do like a do's and don'ts list type of thing because there's so many extenuating circumstances and caveats and exceptions to the rules and gray areas, but the people want a do's and don'ts list. So why don't we say you've come up with some tips, some guidelines, we're going to go through it and let's get out of the way. Now we understand there may be some exceptions to the rules and gray areas and blah, blah, blah. We know, we know, but let's go ahead and look at the list anyway. So where do you want to begin? So I think one of the main things that comes up is about finances. And so a few of my thoughts have to do on that topic. One of the main ones is don't give them cash in any form. And that can be really hard because people who are using need money because at the point that they are at where you are feeling like you need to do something or intervene, they're usually overspending whatever they could afford. If you feel the need to help somebody financially, then my suggestion is that you do it within your means, within the limits that you set. And I'll talk about that a little bit later and not in a way that they can spend it on alternate stuff. So if you're going to pay their rent, then you pay it directly to the landlord Mm -hmm. or the management company. If you're going to buy them food, then they either go with you to the store or you give them a gift card to that store knowing that, yes, there's alcohol and cigarettes and whatever there, but that's about the best you can do when it comes to giving someone food. Even um, even dollar stores carry alcohol for the most part. So it's not as though there's really a way to get around that. 
but it is safeguarding it a little bit. Once you've handed it over a gift card, you just let it go. You don't need to know what they spent it on or what they did with it. You're doing the best you can providing the support you want to and doing it in a way that is not handing them cash. Yeah. If they start to argue with you about why they have to have it themselves, then something's fishy and I would rethink. I think that's a good tip. Even if you're not speaking to someone who's using drugs and alcohol, give within your means, give because you want to give, not because you felt pressure or manipulated. Um, and, and, you know, give in a way that's thoughtful and makes sense, um, or don't give and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. A stance that I sort of use that I would love for people to adopt all over the place, my clients and listeners alike is try not to do things you're going to resent later. Yeah. So whatever you're doing, making sure that, okay, how much can I give to this without being bitter later? Is it 20 bucks? Is it 50? Because if you overextend yourself, it's going to cause more conflict emotionally for you. And likely they won't appreciate the fact that that's happening Mm -hmm. because the need was met and they assume that you're responsible for your own boundaries, whether they think that consciously or not, they will not be thinking about, wow, this was really hard for her to give me. And I feel really bad. That's not going to go through their head. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's a good one. What else? Um, I do think, and this might be slightly controversial, but I do think that keeping lines of communication open, even if that means you end up paying for their phone, mm-hmm. I know that that can be difficult. And I have, like I said, in the past episode, two adult children. And when one of my children stormed out of my house for six months, I kept her phone on Mm -hmm. because as a mom, I need to know that she has a way to get a hold of me. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I pay for extra stuff or whatever. We have an unlimited plan and it's 30 or 40 bucks a month and it's peace of mind for me. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things that you could decide that if you're getting bitter about it and annoyed and frustrated, then maybe you won't. But I want parents to know and loved ones that if you're the one paying for the phone, do it because you need it and you want them to be able to reach you. And that I think is an okay thing to do and not enabling in my opinion. Okay. Okay. That doesn't sound that controversial to me. You, you get a little pushback on that. Yeah. I think that there's this line between either you're an enabler or you're super strict and you do nothing yeah. for them. And I but just see, that's the thing. That's yeah. the extremes, right? People mm-hmm. think in extremes. I, again, folks, if you're listening and you only heard two options, you're an enabler or you're strict, relax bring your shoulders down, take a deep breath. You're activated. Like let's think in the middle. There's a lot of good in the middle. And this seems like a good middle of the road option, keeping lines of communication open. Even if you have to pay for the phone bill to me, seems like it's in this middle space between you're a total enabler and you're harsh and strict and you've cut people off. It's in the middle. Yeah. Okay, cool. So one of the other tips that I had was in that's similar to this is don't assume that they would never 
do this or that because they might. Yeah. When we're using those of us who are true addicts and alcoholics do really shady shit and things that as a sober person would never cross our brain. And it is part of addiction. It is to be expected. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's something that we ignore. I'm just saying, if you can switch it around and think if I was desperate, what would I do? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If I wasn't, attached to my moral compass at this moment, if I didn't have access to that because the drugs and the withdrawal is pressing down on me, what would I do? Because truly withdrawal is like having the worst illness ever and a tiny little something will fix it immediately and make you feel pretty awesome. Yeah. That is very hard to resist. And so Lots of stuff can get involved in how to make that happen for an addict or an alcoholic. And so they will do things that you would not have imagined. And if you can sort of prepare yourself for that and try to not necessarily outthink them, but just say, well, on the outside chance, they could do this. So how can I safeguard? Well, I can only safeguard to this point. So that's what I'm going to do. Okay. And that really is... I think part of the problem is that our loved ones tend to underestimate what we are capable of as addicts and alcoholics or overestimate reason and logic in a person who's using. Yeah. I think I'm going to remember you saying that a person may not have access to their moral compass. I I like the way you've put that because it, it doesn't mean they don't have a moral compass. They can't access it right now. It's like, you know, it's temporarily out of order. Um, But that doesn't mean this is a person who never had one. I I think that's helpful for parents to hear that because parents like to think I gave my kid my the moral compass, you know, whether they did or didn't is another episode. But parents like to believe that moral compass is what I instilled in that kid. So I have to believe it's there. It is there. They may not have access to it right now. Exactly. And it does come back to them. And honestly, that moral compass is that is telling them this is bad. You know better. It's just in that moment, physical needs are going to outweigh values. That's just how we are built as humans. It's why people would steal if they were hungry. It's the same thing. Our physical needs are always going to override Mm -hmm. unless we have significant ways around that. And so it is still there. What you taught them is still there and it is in conflict inside of them. I guarantee it. 18 years of doing this. I trust, trust me. It's there. Your voice is in there. Yeah. (laughs) It's in their head. And that is not something you need to remind them of and just take heart that you did do your job. Mm -hmm. It is not your fault or lack of whatever that caused this addiction is now running the show. And addiction is more powerful than I think people realize. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's one that will really help people to hear. Yeah. Thanks for that one, Betsy. What else? (laughs) I'm just going to keep saying what else, what else until you say, Kate, I've got better things to do today. (laughs) Um, So this one I think is going to be difficult for some parents because of fear of what will come after. Mm I would encourage you not to bail them out of jail, not to pay for a lawyer, 
not to lie for them and not to protect them from consequences, kind of no matter what it is. If they tell you that drug dealers are after them because they have a drug debt, that isn't something you can solve. And I encourage you not to pay for it. And it's scary to not pay for those things yeah. or bail them out of jail. It's not going to kill them to be in jail. Yes, yeah. it's scary. And they will likely revert to a, a kid type self if they call you from jail. Mm-hmm. It's okay to not bail them out. They made these choices and they can suffer the consequences, even if that means jail and prison and felonies and what you feel like is fucking up their whole life, they're at least alive. Mm -hmm. And so it's okay. As long as they're breathing, there's still hope and you do not need to. And I don't believe you should get involved. I will let you know that my mom bailed me out, paid for lawyers, paid all my fines and basically covered for me. And that prolonged my use. Mm -hmm. I understand why she did it because as a mom, like I get that there's really nothing I wouldn't do to protect my children, but all it did was make me go, whew, got out of that one. Let's keep going. Mm -hmm. And as I look back, I'm thankful for her in all the ways she tried to keep me alive. And I feel like that actually made me feel more invincible. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I'm going to let when when that silence hits, I'm going to let it, I'm not editing that out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as hard as it will be for you to let that lie, let it go. Child protection gets involved. Fine. Probation, prison, whatever, let it happen. Mm-hmm. It will be hard and you can tolerate it. You just need to have some support for yourself and just watch what happens. You can show up to court as a support, mm-hmm. but trying to advocate for them beyond a certain limit, not advisable. A motto for me is harder, but better. <laughs> I often think the harder road is the better road. Mm -hmm. And I, and I was thinking that as you were describing, like, you know, don't pay the bills, don't bail them out of prison, show up to court as a support, don't hire the lawyer. All I kept thinking was it is so much harder, but it is better. Do the harder thing now because it's better in the long run. Um, The easier thing would probably be, hire the lawyer, swoop in and mm-hmm. save them. Do all, do all the things, do everything you can do. It, it's a lot of work, but it's like easier in the sense that it would be, it would, you would feel like you're fixing things, right? You would feel, let me emphasize feel, you would feel like you're fixing things, but you are not fixing things. You were doing something that made you feel good in the moment. Like, okay, I can step up and help my kid pat myself on the back but you may actually be prolonging this whole painful journey that everybody's on. Um, So harder, but better is to just sort of practice some self-restraint here. I think that one of the things that trips people up is in, in trying to do this is when there is children involved Mm -hmm. or homelessness. And I want to say, I get that that's hard. 
and it's okay to be uncomfortable. They will find some place to crash. And yeah, it'll be with other people who are using for sure. Mm-hmm. And they're going to do that anyway. Mm-hmm. And so you getting involved in that is not going to help. They either want to change or have to change. And it has to happen organically. There's nothing we can do to really bring the floor up. And as, as loved ones, we really can't. And so, and if there are children, grandchildren specifically, or nieces and nephews, you may end up having to call child protection. Mm -hmm. And that is very hard. And our role, I think as adults is to protect people who cannot protect themselves. Yeah. And that is okay because while the children will have a difficult time in foster care or kinship care, if they end up with you or with a family member as adults, they will know that somebody in their family was looking out for them Mm -hmm. and doing the hard thing. Don't let children be the blackmail piece Mm -hmm. just because your grandchildren are there you have a recourse. Child protection exists. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying it's great in different states and different counties. It runs differently. And sometimes they do a great job and sometimes the resources aren't there, but I just don't want people to get hung up. Like, but there's kids. Yep. Yep. And the kid is going to school every day, knowing that this is happening because kids are not dumb. No. (laughs) And even little Lil's, they know something's wrong. And you're just reacting to the truth of the situation in a way that if this was a neighbor down the street, you would have perfect clarity about what should happen to that family Mm -hmm. rather than when it becomes your own, it's hard to have clarity because your, your feelings are in the way. And so I would encourage you to think about if this was just a story I heard, yeah, what would my advice be to that person or that family? Yeah. You would say someone needs to call child protection services. (laughs) Right. In your gut, you know what the right thing is. I think that fear stops us. Yeah. And folks listening, you know, I I, I keep saying a lot of what Betsy's saying applies in other situations as well. (laughs) Like, you know, you might be thinking, well, I don't really have anyone in my life who's going through that. Okay. But some of these themes are still meaningful, That like, if there's someone in your life who pushes boundaries and you find that you keep caving in, you keep saying, okay, okay, I'll, I'll let this happen one more time. You are negotiating in a way that's just teaching that person. If they just push hard enough, they'll get what they want and they'll keep increasing the threats and the demands because you keep caving in. And so, you know, these themes are important to hear whether you know someone in your life who's going through this or not. Although I'll bet almost everyone listening does have someone in their life who these things apply to. But even if you feel you do not, take some of these themes more broadly. Okay, Betsy, is there anything else? In line with the resources, finances, lawyers, et cetera, do not let them live with you if it is destructive in any way your home is the place where you have to feel safe, where you have to get up and go to work or take care of people or yourself or whatever. Even if it's just you living alone and this other person, that has to be safe and sacred. And if they can't respect basic boundaries that you put up, then they need to go. And you can't be held hostage in your own home 
because of someone else's behavior. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to be really clear. You, you do not have a responsibility to house adults. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, I'm, uh, I'm thinking there may be some folks listening who think that sounds harsh. And I just want to say folks, there's a way to do that. That doesn't have to be harsh. There's a way to do that. That says, I love you so much. And I think about you and your well-being constantly. And I believe you're capable of change. I believe in your capacity to do better and to feel better. And I'm here to celebrate with you when that happens. In the meantime, this is what has to happen for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, you don't have to yell and curse and call people names and throw them out and make a big scene. I think Betsy, people may have a hard time imagining that there is a kind way to set that limit. There is a way to say, you are still my family. You are still my top tier. You know, you're still, you're still one of the most important people in my life. I'm not yelling at you. I am not putting you down. I am not shaming you. I'm not being cruel. I am in the kindest way possible setting this limit. And this is real for me and it needs to be respected. And I think that we should expect pushback Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean you're wrong, right? They're going to argue and push and pull. And as long as you tell them in a way that is honest and in the way that for me, my opinion is that if you can tell them honestly, and in a way that is kind and open, but firm, their, their response is never your problem. Mm-mm. their Mm-mm. response is their response. You say what you're going to say, and then you let them have their response and you keep stating the expectation. Anyone who teenagers has been through this. When I say you have to do this before you go out, but blah, blah, blah. You have to do this before you go out. Mm-hmm. You have to do this before you go out. And it gets annoying to say, and for them to hear, but the truth is still the same. I set a limit. Here's the line, do it or don't like whatever. Yeah. And that isn't my problem. What I have to do is be regulated in my emotions to try to say what I need to say clearly. Sometimes it helps to write it out so that you can get kind of the flow of what you want to say. And that if you get tongue tied or they're yelling that, you know what you're going to do so that you're not just stuck in this, you have to get out, you know, moment. Instead, you're doing it from a place of calmness and logic with understanding your emotions, of course. Yeah. But I think that ha- that those moments are better if you have a little time to prepare mm-hmm. and if you know what your limits are in your lines. I, I, I love the way you've described that, that you have to be regulated in your emotions so that you are doing this in a way that is calm and logical and that you don't have to get provoked into right. some kind of screaming match. I think, you know, for a lot of people, they can only imagine telling someone you can't live here. If it's a shouting match, like that's the only scenario they can imagine is that it's screaming and it's, it's just chaos and we're attacking each other and the police have to get called. Listen, there's a chance the person you're speaking to might be doing all those things. That does not mean that's what you have to do just because it's Hollywood's image of removing someone from your house does not mean it's the only option. You mm-hmm. can absolutely remain calm and never yell and never freak out. Just 
in your own boundaries, say, these are the options that are available to you. And, you know, please let me know which of those options you have chosen, but I am in no way going to get provoked into being nasty and, and anything like that. It's just not, it's not necessary. There are other options available for this. So second to last here is not to use blackmail as a form of motivation. Mm. And I don't know that average people would think about it as blackmail, but blackmail is simply withholding something or threatening something because you want a certain action. It will backfire and it makes the person believe you're untrustworthy to begin with. And I don't know that that's what you want or that that's the thing you're trying to convey. You're just trying to figure out in desperation how to make something happen. Mm -hmm. So for instance, withholding seeing their kids, if you have custody, withholding money that was owed to them or whatever the case may be. We can't manipulate people who are using into change. We can set limits. So for instance, if there's children involved, I used to run a program where we did all the supervised visitation for child protection. And I had a rule that the parent, if they've been, if they were in there for actively using, but in general, they had to confirm their visit two hours before the visit, which means they had to contact the staff person to say, yes, we're meeting. Otherwise we would not meet. The children would not get picked up. And the, honestly, most of the time the children if we could help it, weren't totally aware the visit was going to happen that day. And mainly that's to protect kids because I've seen too many kids whose parents never showed up for their visit and it devastates them. Yeah. And so I'm not encouraging you to make kids pay for the consequences of their parents. I am saying that you can set limits of you cannot come to the house or to the event unless you are sober not sober for days, not sober for whatever, just not high or drunk at that moment. If you can't be acting in a normal quote way, then I can't have you around the kids because it's not fair to them and it's not okay. So if you're going to come, then I need to know that you're going to be there and I'm not going to let the kids know, or you don't, you can tell them that or not, but you're not withholding them. Mm-hmm. In that sense, you're setting limits about what are the parameters that I'll allow you to see your children, because it's my job as their adult to protect them, even from you, but we're not using it as blackmail or manipulation. We're just setting a limit of, I have, this is our family, and I'm telling you that I would love for you to be there, and you need to be sober for that time period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They, They might go out and get blown right after they leave. That is not your problem. You are setting them the, the limit of what can they do to have connection with their family, show up sober. Yeah. And yeah. I think that that is a more honest way. And it is the outcome you want is sober connection with your person. Mm-hmm. And in a way that doesn't give them some sort of line they can't do, like be sober for three days. Okay. If they could be sober for three days, we're talking about a very different experience. Right. Right. You're setting the bar too high if that's your expectation. Yeah. And I also, I, I, I appreciate your example of like, okay, so someone manages to come to the family event, sober behaving normally. And you said they may leave immediately and go use. 
I can imagine a lot of families saying, oh, well, sure, he came sober, but he left and used right away, all upset about that. Folks, let's call this a win, right? Like you might not like that they left and used right away, but that is actually very likely to happen, very likely to happen. Why not call it a win that this person did take seriously the the limit that you set and they came to the event, they, they decided it was valuable enough to say, I will remain sober for this time. And I, I think to see the good in that mm-hmm. can be very important for everyone involved rather than, yeah, but I mean, he left right away and used immediately. Relax. All right. They came, they saw, they conquered. <laughs> well, and it's a really good sign because it says that the moral compass is still in there. They could have been like, fuck you. I'll show up if I want. And so instead that's, that's the real them, right? That's the part of them that really wants to have what they used to have or what they could have. So it's a great sign. Mm -hmm. It is a way that you can keep connected to your person without demanding that they have this much sober or that much sober or whatever. And it gives them something to work for. Mm-hmm. That I can have my family and I can see them even if I'm not perfect. Yeah. 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 Okay. You hey, want so yeah, yeah, our last. <laughs> so our last, the last thing is kind of one of the more common, most common questions probably is that how do I get them help? You can't commit them. You can't get them force them. You can't force them into treatment. Most states would have to have some pretty serious, imminent danger, like in the next few hours, going to die kind of thing to commit somebody. I've seen this. I work in two different states and I can tell you that it's, it's not going to happen. Not even if they're pregnant and using meth, like you can't do it. And so we have to move that out of our head. And we can't trick them into treatment because the, we could blackmail them, you know, from here to next week and they'll just leave when the withdrawals get too bad when they get there. Mm -hmm. And then they've blown a chance and an insurance might not pay for it again or whatever. Okay. So what I encourage you to do though, is to find out exactly the process for if your person comes to you, we're going to pretend they come to you today to ask for help. I want you to know exactly what to do. Hmm. Who do you call? What's the process? Who's going to pay for it? Because that is always the problem. Mm-hmm. And what are the resources? What about inpatient versus residential, which are two different things. And I do talk about that in the podcast and my podcast and outpatient therapy. And there's halfway houses and some States have them and some don't, but somebody in your community knows this information. Typically mm-hmm. it's the county. So like the county health and human services is a good place to start or a resource coordinator for a community health center, somebody who does uh, social work referrals. Those are the people who have the phone numbers to call. And I would call and ask questions. And if you don't get someone that is helpful, call someone else mm-hmm. until you are crystal clear that you could literally walk through the process yourself. And then in a moment, when you have that time with your person, you let them know when you're ready to get help. 
I've done a little research and I know exactly what to do. Mm-hmm. When you're ready, you call me and we'll pull that lever. Yeah. I just want you to know that I know this and I know what you need to do and I know how to get it paid for. And I know the, you know, these steps and I have that when you're ready and you just let that be, they know that if they wanted to go right this moment, you would do it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you don't need to say it because you're not asking them, you know, we're not trying to trigger shame here, but in the back of their head, when they think, fuck, I can't do this anymore. What do I do? They know my so-and-so said they knew how to help me. Mm-hmm. And since you've kept lines of communication open, yeah, yeah, they know how to get to you. And all they have to say is, I want help. And you're like, I'm on it. Mm-hmm. And that is information that you need to have because holy shit, it's hard to work the system, mm. especially when you don't know the system. It's, it's just near impossible. It is a complicated system we have. Um, and you know, Betsy, even though we have listeners in like 30 countries, I'll bet that's true all over the world. Maybe in some places it's a little easier than others, but for those who are listening from other countries, in the United States, it's a big old mess. <laughs> it's, it's a big old mess here. Uh, trust us. I'm sure you're not surprised if you're listening from somewhere else. You, you've heard about us over here in the States. Um, and, and what I love is look, look, I'm not even the one who's currently addicted right now. And when I heard you say, when you're ready, I know exactly what to do. I felt myself go like, (sighs) like that, that did something for me, even as someone who's not in a moment of chaos right now, just to hear Mm -hmm. there's somebody who might have this under control is very comforting. It's very comforting. Mm -hmm. When you're ready, I know exactly what to do. I heard you say that. And even I like settled into my chair a little bit, like, okay, so somebody knows, okay, Mm -hmm. that feels good. That feels good. Well, in the day they say they're ready, the part of the trouble with addiction is that the day they say they're ready, you need to move Yeah. because within a day or 48 hours, I forget what the research says, but the chance of them following through is really slim Mm -hmm. as time moves forward. And I want to encourage you, If they say it and you start the process and they go AWOL, it's okay. Mm -hmm. You just say, well, I'm here next time. Yeah. And, and, and you express your hurt and your fear and your frustration to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Right. Because most people have a number of tries at getting sober. I don't know what the number is, but it's a lot. It's like five or something. I mean, it's, it's a lot. Mm -hmm. And so expect that they may not make it all the way through the process right away. That's okay. You still are saying, I love you. And I'm here. Mm -hmm. All my boundaries still stand all of my limits, everything I set up. Mm -hmm. And I have this information. And if you do it and you find that there's problems with the information, then you figure out what the other step would be. Cause you have a clear mind. Your person does not, they cannot navigate this, but it is hope for them that they have an anchor who will be there no matter how far they stray to help them when they're ready to step in and say, I can't do this life anymore because we do as addicts and alcoholics get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Oh yeah. 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 And I, I think it's a a healthy, a healthy approach for a helper to know in your mind, this is just the first try. This is just the first try. 
there are very likely going to be many tries at recovery. There are going to be many stays at the, at the center. There's going to be many rounds of this. And if somebody, like, like you said, kind of goes AWOL, okay, that was just our first try. We're going to probably try at this a lot. Um, and, and I think it helps people to know that, to set your expectations there, because if you think, oh, good, the person's ready for me to help them. And then they disappear. It can be very frustrating if you don't know already that that's totally to be expected. I know that there will be specific situations that people have questions, that kind of thing. And there's always going to be that. I would encourage listeners in that place to seek out others who have walked through this. Whether it's in like Naranon, which is Narcotics Anonymous for family or loved ones, Al-Anon, which would be alcohol, but there's other groups. There's lots of places online where loved ones are talking about how to handle things with their person Mm -hmm. and you can get some good ideas. You don't necessarily have to find a professional, although you certainly can Yeah, and they can help you figure out your values and what you need to do and limits. And another person's ideas in this case, I think can be helpful coming up with creative ways to stay connected and live your life while not enabling. So it's sort of a a balance of that, but I just encourage you to, to look around and find supportive people and groups that you can go to when you need to for people who understand, as opposed to being like, oh, that sucks. I don't know what you should do, which fine. I don't want them to give you shitty advice. So like, okay, but that's not as helpful. And I do think that there's lots of people who have been there and done that, and they will have some really um, important information, I think. Yeah. Betsy, I think one of the best things you've offered is this idea of setting limits. And I say that because when people do go seek out some help, whether it's from a professional or, you know, a support group or whatever they may do, I know a lot of folks say to me, but I don't even know what to say. Like, I don't even know what questions to ask. I don't know what I'm supposed to share there. I don't know what I'm supposed to talk about. And if, and if what people need, like if, if, if the listeners need this to get themselves in the door to see a therapist is if maybe you're looking for like, what do I put on the form that says what brings you in today? Maybe you could just sit down with a therapist and say, I need some help understanding what my limits are um, because I have someone in my life who's struggling. Can you help me establish my limits? That might be just like a nice way to begin. And then all sorts of other stuff's going to come up. (laughs) It'll be like a waterfall from there. But if you're wondering, like, how do I even start? Maybe what you could say is I need a little help with how to set my limits. Can you help me with that? And then see where it goes from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a, an excellent idea. And the people who do intake for, uh, for therapy, they've heard it all. They've heard all the stories and they will likely mark down if you call and talk about your person that you're having some stress and some anxiety. Yeah. Like, I think the hardest part is making the call because that is a, what do I say? This is their job. This is what they do. And they will help you put it into words. Okay. Betsy, I'm going to link on our website to your website, betsybyler.com.com. Yep. Um, And um, to the listeners, you can always reach me at kate at onlytryingtohelp.com or find us on social media at 
uh, at I was O-T-T-H. O-T-T-H stands for only trying to help. Thanks, folks. And we'll see you next time.